I object to violence, because when it appears to do good, the good is only temporary. The evil it does is permanent. Mahatma Gandhi Welcome, 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 one and all, to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kentad Svensgard, and along with me as always, please say hello to Mr. AJ Mass. Why, hello, everybody out there. We are happy to be back for another episode. We are not necessarily happy with the subject matter of this episode, but that's just the way it goes with Criminal Minds. Some of these are a little bit more... Uh, harsh than others yeah i would say this is one of the harsher ones aj uh but let me remind our listeners in case this is their first time giving a listen or uh even if you're back uh you know i say at the beginning of the show every week what the show is about because that's what you do in shows um, <laughs> this podcast felonious pundits is about the tv program criminal minds we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show each week. We profile it, if you will. I have never seen this show before, or this particular episode, because now I've seen the show. But I'm a newbie to the Criminal Minds world. And as we have established, AJ is a grizzled, grizzled veteran who, who has seen each and every episode of the show. So I have the new look, first watch perspective, and AJ brings you... That uh, I've been here before, but now I'm going to maybe dig a little deeper. I've noticed something different this time around perspective. Does that sum it up pretty much? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's the first time you've given that intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it is pretty much. Uh, this week, guys, we profile season two, episode five of Criminal Minds. This episode is entitled Aftermath. It was written by Chris Mundy and directed by Otter himself, Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson, who will uh, direct one more episode in a few seasons' time, but somehow uh, never managed to get on the acting side of things for this one. So this is not a Renko situation here. <laughs> oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, if he's involved with the show, maybe he'll be on, but I guess... It appears not. So this episode originally aired on October 18th, 2006, AJ. And once again, I'm bringing you the feature that no one asked for. <laughs> Nostalgic Minds. On October 18th, 2006. Actually, not much newsworthy happened on this day, AJ. <laughs> uh, all I got is that the Dow Jones Industrial Average broke 12,000 for the first time. Wow. And so there's that. <laughs> this feature is awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad everybody was asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get on with the episode, shall we? This week, we open at our BAU office in Quantico. It's clearly late. A janitor is buffing the floor. Gideon walks out into the bullpen and notices 
Several people are still working. Uh, so he asks if anyone ever goes home. Well, Hotch and Morgan aren't there because they have lives, but the rest of the team <laughs> is there. L. Reed, J.J., they're there. And since they're there, J.J. brings up a case that they need to work on. Um, apparently, there is a serial rapist in Dayton, Ohio, and the police want their help with this case. Uh, three months ago, he raped five students that attended a small Bible college, uh, roughly one attack per week. Then for a little while, there was nothing. And then suddenly, nine days later, he comes back. But now he has a whole new victim pattern, AJ. He he rapes two uh, older women who are in their 30s. Um, and he does it about five days apart. The new attacks were at the opposite ends of the city. But they know it's the same guy because he leaves voicemails for them. Uh, none of the victims recognize his voice. And they even have DNA on this guy. But Apparently, he's not in the system. So they wonder why someone would suddenly change victimology. That's not really common for serial rapists. And uh, maybe he's letting this these women know that no one is safe. Gideon says, let's call Hotch and Morgan. Let them know wheels are up as soon as the jet is cleared for takeoff. I don't know how long it's going to take to clear the jet. But if it's late at night and they're at the office, why can't they just leave Hutch and Morgan alone until, you know, the next morning and let them come in and say, hey, we got to go. Well, as as you'll find out, uh, this is our first use of the term wheels up on the show, by the way. the I close every podcast here saying wheels up. And the reason I do that is because we're going to hear wheels up a lot. It's kind of, the, this is the <laughs> debut of it, but it is kind of the, okay, we've got a case. Let's get to work. Let's get cracking. Wheels up. Uh, yeah, it does not take long for them to scramble this jet. Generally 30, 40 minutes, that, that's that's normal. So, uh, yeah, it, we're not talking a couple hours here. We are talking enough time for them to get woken up, pack a go bag, or, you know, just grab it and go. Uh, so, uh, that, that's, that's the reason. You, you don't, you don't want to leave uh, an active case waiting if you, if you don't have to. All right. I, I, I still question the urgency. I give them a night to sleep. Well, no, say, yes. In fairness, had they not been there, <laughs> had they not been there, it would have waited till the morning. But uh, you know, hey. <laughs> anyway, so we cut to Dayton, Ohio. Um, it's a rainy night. We see a woman being dropped off at her home. She gets out of the car and thanks whoever drove her. Heads inside her house. Uh, she sees an answering machine. Remember those devices? <laughs> Wait for um, the beep. You got to leave your name. You got to leave yeah. your number. Wait for the beep. Boop. <laughs> Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Uh, so she sees a message on her answering machine and she plays it. And a creepy voice comes on and says, I think we're ready to meet. Trust me. I know what you want. And then quite starting, startlingly, the same voice speaks from directly behind her saying, hey, you came home early tonight. She turns around and is grabbed by someone I think has a stocking or a nylon over his face. Anyway, we can't see his face. She starts screaming. Oh, my God. No, no, no. And we go right to credits. Criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds, criminal minds. It's criminal minds. Once again, right after the credits, we see our jet and we get our opening quote from Gideon. Helen Keller once said, although the world is full of suffering, it is also full of overcoming it. 
We cut to see the group on the plane, all in their own thoughts. We focus on Elle a little bit, uh, and then we see the rest of the group as well. And uh, I'm not going to say it's foreshadowing, but it is a lot of foreshadowing. I'm not going to mention it every time, AJ. <laughs> but we get a lot of, of cuts and close-ups on L this episode. I'm just going to start off by saying that. And I pr- pretty much noticed it right away. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's the definitely definitely what was what was interesting to me in this in this scene. There was the choice to not only to focus on L, but uh, there's like this guitar-y kind of song playing in her headphones and even as we travel to the rest of the BAU on the jet we still continue to hear that song playing over so it's keeping us uh, subliminally at least still focused on L and in 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 L's head quite literally like the song is in her head we we are to remain in her mm-hmm. head for most of this episode that's right Hotch walks up to Gideon. He's looking at everybody on the plane and he comments on how everybody's mood seems different on the plane when the victims are still alive, which is an interesting thing that I had not thought of before, but I suppose it's true. JJ has uh, some new info on their latest victim. It's Miss Alicia Jordan. She's 38. The MO in this latest case is the exact same. He's waiting for her to get home. He broke in through the back, subdued her with a gun, and he left a message on her answering machine about an hour or so before that. JJ says she can't imagine being taunted like that in her own home. And Gideon is saying that the message aren't taunts, they're overtures. I think they're ready. I think we're ready. Trust me. He's being really sincere in these messages. And Morgan says, well, it sounds like we're dealing with a power reassurance rapist. And Reed says, to him, these messages are courtships. He's introducing himself to these victims. And Hotch says he must have stalked these people to know so much about their lives. Gideon points out that the first victims were all college students and all religious, so why change? Morgan asks if the police have found any connection between the latest set of victims, um, but they haven't found out anything yet. And Gideon says, well, we need to figure out what made this guy go off script. I think that's a great way to start off an episode. It's like, you know, here's what's going on. Here's something's new. If we figure that out, I love when they state it right up front. Here's the one thing that we need to know. The one piece of evidence that once we get it, case solved. So I I like the fact that they state it up front. So we don't have to wait 40 minutes in and going, you know, when we were saying all that earlier, we were completely off. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So next we cut uh, to the police department in Dayton. And our team meets our local detective, Maggie Callahan. AJ, Maggie is on the ball. She seems she seems to know what's up this episode. Not only that, but I just love the fact after, you know, a couple of episodes where these, you know, cops didn't, we didn't even know the names last week of the cops because they were so insignificant. She comes right out and says, hi, everybody. I have a name, so I'm going to be important to the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, She says right away, as soon as this guy changed his victims, I knew I could use your help. Uh, And Gideon, I think, picks up on it right away, too, because he immediately asks what her thoughts are. I don't think we've really seen him do that too often with the local uh, police. I mean, not just so straightforward and quickly like he does here. I think he, too, picks up 
you know, what she's putting down, so to speak. She's confident. Because she's talking, <laughs> yeah. she's talking in his language yep. as well. She knows the, uh, the lingo. She really does. Uh, so she says, well, serial rapists usually have a set fantasy. And I figured if we can get a handle on what made him change, it would give us our best ch- shot at nailing the guy. So she's right on what they were talking about. She's already there. She has a conference room they can set up in, and she tells Gideon that it would be very helpful to have an extra female presence when when you're talking to all these victims. Uh, Gideon asks if she can promise to be sensitive, and she can, as long as Gideon promises to stay pissed off at what happened to these girls. Um, she's been working this case since day one. She doesn't want to have to step aside, and Gideon says she won't have to. Yeah, Gideon likes her it's obvious he's smiling he's he's pleasant <laughs> he's listening right. um yeah no this 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 is a, a good uh, a good relationship they got going here who knew dayton was going to be so bau friendly <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut to a hospital room we cut to our latest victim who's being examined by doctors also photographed by the police I will say right away, this scene struck me when thinking about the title of the episode, Aftermath. We don't, I'll I'll spoil it right away, we don't get our episode title mentioned by anybody in this episode, but it really didn't bother me because we see it so much in this episode, and it's sort of, like, it really works as a title for me compared to some of the other non-title mentions that that we've gotten and we see it specifically in this scene you know the horror of rape itself is not just the crime as it happens but what the victims have to go through afterwards when they are being prodded by the doctors and being made to relive their their experience over and over again and it's and it's everybody trying to be helpful and trying to help the situation but it's still just another kind of violence in a way on the victim like they still have to go yeah, through I this mean, you know like you said you got all that and you, you get all that when you watch this and you feel it and this scene is not long the scene is not long at all and yet no it, it goes to show how horrific this type of a crime is that even in just what little we do see we get it um there's a really fantastic british series called broadchurch and in season three, there is a rape in the first episode, and the entire, I would say, 40 minutes after the incident in the first episode is the aftermath. And that's all it is, is watching the victim go through this. And it's slow, and it's quiet, and again, like you said, all the cops are trying their best to not victimize someone again but needing to know the information and it's really it's really um yeah it's 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 a tough watch and you know it's we're trying to be a funny podcast here and everything but you know certainly this this is one of those crimes where you, we're not going to make jokes about the crime we're going to make jokes at some point uh during this episode because there is there's light light-hearted stuff coming up but uh the crime itself make no mistake there's there's nothing funny about any of this yeah and uh, kudos also to the actress who played the victim, Alicia, here. I thought she did really well in this small but pivotal part. Uh, oh, and, and, I, and I will point out, for most of the victims in this case, for a lot of the episode, they don't use their names right. for a good portion of it. 
and I think that also is important to what the story that they're telling is that as the investigator, it's hard to put names on them and see them as people when you have to see them as evidence. And I think there's a definitely, um, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a blurry area. You know, it's a great gray area there where like, which is the better way to proceed? Because you, when you do hear the victim's names uh, at, at a couple of points, it's like, oh, that's right. They, 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 they do have a name. And I think it's, it's interesting that they chose to show that aspect of trying to solve a crime and work with these people. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Hotch and L have to talk to her, and L promises that they'll keep her. They'll keep it short. We then cut directly to Morgan, JJ, and Detective Callahan. They're over at Trinity University, speaking with one of the victims from the college. And uh, this girl is saying that when the attacks first started, that they had put guards on all the campus gates on campus, but somehow this guy still got into their dorm rooms. Morgan asks if she's noticed anyone new on campus and they're the way they're set up is interesting because the girl is between JJ and detective Callahan and Morgan is sort of standing in the back. I just thought it was, it was interesting. The women were sort of together and they're still trying to keep that sort of setup going to make the girl feel as comfortable as possible. So yeah, Morgan asks her, if she noticed anyone new on campus and and she starts to talk to she answers directly to Callahan in fact she doesn't turn around to talk to Morgan she says you know we already didn't we already talk about this but then she says okay look we didn't i didn't notice anyone she also says that before this guy did what he did he told her he should get a, that she should get a dog for protection and then he said or maybe your parents can let you have Dexter stay with you which is freaky because obviously now this guy knows stuff about her life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's context clues because, you know, I got to say, when you're watching a crime show in today's day and age and someone says Dexter, <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you're like, wait, why would she want? Oh, I got it. Yeah. It, you know, you, you don't really know who Dexter is right off the top, but yeah, it, it does get there. Like Dexter's her dog. Okay. Yeah. I, I got you now. Yeah. So we cut back to the hospital and Hotch is still talking to uh, Alicia, says, uh, you're, you said that your attacker knew things that you thought. What did you mean by that? And she says that he said, we weren't the type of people to just stay inside and read books. And he talked about taking me away to Positano, Italy, and drinking white wine and listening to Al Green. That happens to be her favorite, favorite place in the world. And it's the only alcohol that she drinks. And Al Green is her favorite singer, and she just doesn't understand how this guy could know any of those things. We cut back to the college, and Morgan is asking the the victim there if there were any males in her life that she may have told about the family dog. And she says she doesn't have any experience with boys. Uh, there's no one that she would have told. Morgan, at that point, steps away for a moment. J.J. and Callahan let the girl sit down and compose herself. And she says, the police all act like just because he didn't kill you, that he didn't somehow end your life. Again, more of that aftermath of, of what happens. And uh, Callahan asks if she took her advice and, and talked to somebody. And she's like, well, you know, there's always a priest available on campus. But Callahan says, I, I mean a woman. And she says, she doesn't, she doesn't know anyone. Maybe that would be good, though. And so many lives have been ruined here. 
When I went to a doctor, he said that my injuries were minor. And JJ says, do, do you think if they were somehow worse, it would have been better? And she says, I don't know. And JJ is really good here, as she always is, AJ. <laughs> she says, uh, she says, hey, look at me. Someone hands over a wallet at gunpoint. Everyone thinks that's the best thing to do. You did what you had to do to survive. Don't let anyone tell you any different. All right. It's okay. Nice to see JJ taking taking charge and just being good. Yeah. <laughs> Saying the right thing. And, 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 you know, uh, it also just doubles down on how with it Callahan is because Callahan knew. Callahan knew. You need to have women here to support th- these victims. It's, it's a specific type of crime where this is important. And to Gideon's credit, he said, heck yeah. And But, I mean, you really do see the importance here. Mm-hmm. Now we cut back to the hospital, and Hotch is playing the answering machine tape for Alicia, and he's asking her if the attacker sounded any different when he was actually in her house. She thinks about it and says he, he sounded different. He sounded more nervous. Even though he was the one with the gun, he sounded like he was afraid to talk. She wants to know why it matters how he sounded, and Reed explains... You know, on the phone, he can rehearse, and in the flesh, he can't really hide his true self. In his delusion, this guy is thinking of these attacks as dates. And she says, hey, look, I didn't do anything to make him think that. And Hot says, we know you didn't. She starts to cry a little bit more, and Elle is like, all right, this is enough. So they thank her for cooperating, and then they they leave. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a rough uh, a sequence between the two. Uh, I, I do like the juxtaposition and going back and forth because in many ways it shows how there is no difference. You know, even though people react in different ways, you know, these attacks are attacks. Uh, and there's a consistency there. Right. So we cut to a parking garage and the team is getting out of their SUVs. Hotch says, everybody get some sleep. We got a big day tomorrow. And again, we're focusing on Elle. She's lagging behind the group a bit. She's looking through her bag. Some frightening music is now playing, and and she's basically alone at this point. And AJ, parking garages are always scary in movies and TV shows. Like Parking garages always freak me out. Something can always happen in a parking garage. (laughs) Yeah, unless it is an episode of Seinfeld where they're just simply looking for their car in a parking garage. (laughs) Uh, The reason you – there's there's maybe three reasons you have a scene in a parking garage. Uh, One is so someone can get murdered. (laughs) Right. Two is because the Dukes need to get the report on oranges. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. And 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 three is because it's the only place you can find where you can get away from uh, prying eyes to do a little uh, secret wink wink uh, private time uh, with an illicit some, other. Some, yeah, some, some. yeah, exactly. That's yes. pretty much it in, in terms of you don't usually have casual uh, choices to just, hey, why don't we film this one in a parking garage? <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, and and it helps that, you know, creepy music invariably plays in the parking garage scene. Well, so that usually, that always that usually takes a secret wink wink out of the equation. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So anyway, like I said, she, something's clearly going on with Elle. And Reed actually pops back in kind of a nice, you think you're going to get something scary and it's just Reed popping out <laughs> saying, hey, what's up? You okay? Elle says, uh, hey, no, she's fine. She left her glasses in the in her car. And Reed offers to keep her company. 
she looks back at the SUVs and then she thinks about it for a second and then says, you know, no, it's okay. Uh, We got to go get some sleep. We now cut to another house somewhere. A woman is arriving home, but we are in the point of view of some creepy guy in a car and he's snapping several photos of her. Then we have a neat criminal minds type of shot of the hotel. First, we see Hotch getting a cup of coffee. And then as he's moving to sit down to read case files, the camera is panning with him. And in one long shot, it goes through the wall and into the next room where we see that Morgan has out a big map of Ohio. And he walks over to put it on his wall. And the camera continues to pan this whole time through the wall, into the next room, and we see Gideon putting up pictures on his side of the wall of the victims and looking at them as Gideon is wont to do. Uh, There is a knock on his door. He opens it, goes to open it. It's Detective Callahan. She figured he'd be up still, and she mentions that she took a room just down the hall, and Gideon points out that she lives four blocks away. (laughs) And she says, exactly. Why be separated from the work? <laughs> so she also spots a bathroom on bathrobe on his bed and says, uh, you stole the bathrobe. <laughs> and Gideon is like, it's complimentary. <laughs> I just thought that was a nice little character moment for Gideon. Like, how dare you insinuate I stole something? Yeah, and on top of uh, that, and on top of that, I will say though, it again points out how how sharp she is. That like she she cased that room out in two seconds. Right. <laughs> Anyway, she says she can't get something out of her head. Um, She was talking to this girl, Cheryl, on campus today, and she said so many lives have been ruined. And she was thinking about that, and and only 20% of rapes are even reported. And Gideon says, huh, so you think that there's probably more victims out there. Callahan says, well, you figure it's a Catholic school. The percentages are bound to hold up here. And the Gideon says, well, maybe the unsub stressor might have been a rape that never got caught or reported. And Callahan says something made him change victims. Maybe he almost got caught. Maybe he's religious and felt guilty. Maybe a victim reminded him of his sister something. So she asks Gideon what he thinks. And he says he thinks that she has very good instincts. She looks at a victim's picture and then we cut to JJ in her hotel room, also looking at a victim's picture. And then we do more hotel panning through the walls. And we get to Reed standing in his room. He's lost in thought. Books are open on his bed. Then he thinks about something and he, and he walks out of the room. And the camera is still panning and follows over to the next room where Elle is. And uh, then Reed gives the old shave and a haircut knock on the door. <laughs> And uh, Elle answers it, and he's there. He asks her if she's okay. She says, yeah, why wouldn't I be? He walks straight past her into her room, and she's all, no, really, come right in. (laughs) Which was funny. She's got a a few of those small bottles of hotel liquor that you get out of the hotel refrigerator. Uh, She's walking over to a table, and I think it's clear that she's been set up to to have a little get her drink on tonight. And uh, she looks at Reed and asks if he wants her, wants to check her ID. He thinks that maybe, well, maybe she might want to talk. Reed has plenty of insight here. I thought was pretty good. She says, uh, don't go all profiler on me. And Reed is like, oh, 
You got shot in your own home. Then you came back to BAU like nothing ever happened. And I'm thinking that maybe wanting to talk isn't profiling. It's psych 101. And then after a beat, he says, please. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, Reed. You know, he's pretty much been, you know, worried about her since the season started. We're in episode five here. And, you know, she had taken a, a, as little time away as possible uh, after the Fisher King episode. And, you know, look, Elle has PTSD. It's clear she's not 100 percent. And Reed just wants to make sure she's OK. And so it's it's. uh Something that we could assume from watching the episodes, but uh, Elle is going to explain a story here now where we're going to not have any doubt that there's a reason why she has PTSD that goes beyond just, oh, she was shot. Right. Uh, so, yeah, she she gives in to Reed's puppy dog eyes <laughs> and his please. And she says, look, after he shot me. He reached into my wound so he could write on the wall in my blood. I was barely conscious, but I could feel his hand in there. And sometimes it's like I can still feel it. And Reed just says, look, L, he's dead. You, you're right here. You won. <laughs> and she just uh, looks at him and raises her glass and says, then here's to winning. And we cut to a break. Yeah, I mean that's just it's just icky to <laughs> to think about the whole situation. You know, you see you see that yeah. you know, oh yeah, he, he took her blood and put it on the wall and wrote rules, <laughs> and you're like, oh sure, he she was bleeding. No, no, she wasn't bleeding enough for him, and he yeah. uh, to borrow a Bob Ross phrase, he just dipped his brush in in the paint, spread it all around. Just, ugh, ugh. Yeah. And she was conscious for it. She knew what was going on. Horrific. We uh, come back. It's the next morning at the police station. It's time for our profile scene. Uh, so just real quickly, the guy we're looking for is a classic power reassurance rapist. This differs from a power assertive rapist who attempts to humiliate and traumatize his victims. And it's different from the anger retaliatory rapist. And the sexual sadist, whose attacks are also random and excessively brutal. The reason it's important that these cops know that is he's the only kind of rapist, rapist who targets a specific victim. He fantasizes that he's in a relationship with these women. Uh, he doesn't come across them by accident. This is someone that has access. He's the cable guy or the locksmith. He's the guy who reads the gas meter. And then we're getting, of course, all of the act outs, the typical act outs behind the profiling scene during this, by the way. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, ca I've called it uh, the sampling of unsubs. <laughs> right. Just <laughs> ra random schmoes along with a potential victim. And uh, I will say it, it worked more for me in this episode than usual because Morgan wasn't still standing there. They kind of dissolved him out. To right. have these little vignettes going on, which is much more preferred for me than having Morgan talking and walking around the people as they do right. these little recreations. Right. Morgan says he th this guy can describe exactly what these women wear and how they smell. And these details are exactly what feeds his fantasies. So we need for you to look for the overlap between these sets of victims. What, what do they have in common? Delivery men, lawn crew, handymen. 
Did the school share workers with any of the recent victims? Because this guy sees these as relationships, he most likely lives alone. Living alone would allow him to indulge in his delusion that he's in a relationship with these women. And because of the age discrepancy in the victims, they can only pinpoint his age as somewhere between 20 and 40 years old. It's possible that this guy has a profession he finds emasculating. So look for someone in their lives with a job that deviates from normal gender roles, something like a secretary, perhaps. We're sure that there's some overlap somewhere. This guy is a shadow at the edges of each of these women's lives. So Callahan dismisses everyone. JJ comes up to Hotch and Callahan and says she's looked into the idea about the rapes that went unreported. She did find two months ago that there was a female student at Holy Trinity that committed suicide. She wasn't one of the reported victims, but the suicide corresponds almost exactly to the time when the campus attacks were stopped. And maybe there are more victims out there. She's looking at the victims' photos, and we flash cut to pictures of the victims. But now they're in a big collage, and we're in a different place, and we are now hearing creepy music. And we're in our unsub's lair, where he's prepping for something, putting together his collage. We see him also putting in some contact lenses, and we just keep cutting between his various victims' pictures. Uh, we don't really see too much. It's kind of, you know, a shadowed, creepy lair guy. Yeah, and may I say, once again, J.J., is the bomb diggity because while everyone else was going well maybe he's this and maybe he's that she, she's like yeah i looked up the actual uh information and <laughs> found a reason why uh he probably stopped and so you know remember we asked why the change i think we find, found something here that it relates to that and i'm actually being a cop and and can you stop playing make-believe in your own heads with these storylines <laughs> go jj go jj <laughs> JJ's in the house. Uh, we cut to next to Callahan and Hotch, and they are talking to the parents of the girl who committed suicide. And the parents don't understand why this is any of the FBI's business. They explain to them that they're investigating the sexual assaults, and it's possible that their daughter Shelly was raped, and that's why she killed herself. And the mom is immediately denying this, methinks denying a bit too hard. They ask if she had any kind of history of depression, and the dad says, well, she put a lot of pressure on herself, but she, she got straight A's, she volunteered with the youth group, played volleyball, but she handled everything with grace. So they ask them if perhaps she left a suicide note, and if so, can they have it to analyze and uh, investigate and the mother, she just doesn't like this line of questioning at all. She goes off on them a bit. For coming to her house just two months after and asking all these questions. Callahan tries to smooth it over, says she has a little girl too, and she can't say how she'd react if something happened to her, but she'd like to think that she would do whatever she could to help other families not have to go through this pain. But uh, the mom isn't having it, AJ. She's sort of fed up. She says she's going to go lay down. And so the dad just says he'll walk them out. But then he does one of those things where he sort of like waves at them like, wait a second here. You know, he keep it down and he makes sure that the wife isn't really in the room anymore. And then he goes to a, a set of drawers and he pulls out what does appear to be the suicide note in question. He says he loves his wife, but uh, he gives them the note. 
Yeah, I, I thought that it was, I mean, it, it's not surprising that, you know, you sometimes get uh, a married couple where they're going to react differently. Everyone reacts to, to grief differently. And the mother's like, no, she was not raped. No, there was no, no, I will go upstairs. And, you know, when he says, I love my wife, he, what he's really said means is like, I know she's wrong. I have to support her. Don't, like, please don't tell her I'm giving you that. It, it, it wraps it all up in one fell swoop. What I found interesting watching the scene is that when he gives them like the little sign, like, like hang on a sec, hang on a sec. I got, like, Hodge is actually not looking at him. <laughs> Hodge <laughs> does not see him make this sign. It's just be, be, the way they, they stage the scene and the timing of the take. He's standing up and he actually looks down and he... he there's no way he could have known what was going on there. So it, I found it amusing that, you know, sure, our actor knows that he's supposed to stop and wait, but Hotch really should have just kept going or been very confused there. And he wasn't, which I thought, right. you know, let's go to take two, please. I also was really, I really was kind of hoping that he would just continue the game of charades and like, like opening the drawer, note in the drawer. I, I, that could have gone on a little bit. I know it's not a comedy, but, you know, one can dream. <laughs> yeah so uh hotch and callahan are outside of the house now and they look at the note and hotch saying hotch is saying she was raped and callahan says oh the unsub got her pregnant and then she reads the note i'm choosing the sin of suicide over the sin of abortion because i can't bring his baby into the world please don't hate me shelly the attacks at the college stopped two months ago, right after Shelley's suicide. Hotch says, this is obviously our stressor. Callahan says, well, he thinks of these as relationships. In his mind, Shelley killed their baby, which is just so twisted. Hotch calls Gideon, says they need to go back to the last victim and ask her one more question. And, and here's again another point where... Uh, when Callahan was talking to Gideon, she's like, you know, I was talking to Cheryl and, uh, you know, reminded me and Hotch here is like, we need to talk to the last victim. Like he, he, again, he's not personalizing this and giving them identity. It's just evidence to him. Whereas Callahan is taking it from a much more, uh, personal point of view. It, 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 to me, it's interesting. And I don't know if it's because it's a gender thing that they're trying to, or just, a, they're just showing two different styles of, of detective worker but it, it's, it's just interesting to me we cut back to the house of the last victim uh, alicia and gideon and l and reed are there and i think they put this in there just for people like me now that have watched this show uh, a lot uh because my attention was immediately drawn on some dude in the background working on the door of the house and they're having this this questioning right sort of in his his uh his view is he could hear What's going on here? I just thought it was interesting. And I'm like, who is that guy? But uh, Right. Especially because they've told you in the profile it could be a worker or right. someone who, who hangs around. And the show certainly uh, will do that from time to time where you go back and you look and you're like, oh, he was dead in there the whole time. <laughs> right. Uh, so they, they ask uh, Alicia, did this guy say anything to you about children and your family? She says no. They say, did he mention anything about suicide? Refer to a personal tragedy? Somebody, maybe he was in a relationship. And she's like, why are you asking me this? And they tell her that one of the victims took her own life when she realized that the rapist got her pregnant. They notice her react to this and they ask her, what is it? And she says, well, I'm trying to have a baby. 
she had an appointment at a clinic recently to talk to them about insemination just a few days before she was attacked. And they ask uh, if anyone else knew about that. And she says, no, she just decided. She's 38. She figured she couldn't afford to wait around anymore for the right guy to show up. And uh, that's that scene. <laughs> so a little, a little bit more information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, they're, they're doing good detective work. And, and you know, that that's... That's what happens sometimes, you know. <laughs> you actually investigate. You can't sit in a room profile all the time. Sometimes you actually just have to do the legwork, and it's working. Right. Cut back to the police station. Morgan is saying he talked He talked to the other two victims, the, the ones that were in their 30s. They had both gone to a fer- fertility clinic within five days of their attack. And yes, it was the same clinic each time. So Gideon, of course, says, well, let's have Garcia run down the employment records They might be looking at someone who works there or who has access to the medical records. Yeah, Morgan, get Garcia on the phone and have a clickety-clack. Exactly. (laughs) Time to clickety-clack. They do explain the significance of five days here. Reed says that the most popular fertility drug is clomiphene, clomiphene, whatever, and the uh, clinic would most likely have a policy not to attempt any insemination until the drug regimen is complete. So then getting there before they begin the assimilation process would guarantee that this unsub would have paternity. He's trying to get them pregnant. Right. And it explains why he, he you know, the frequency is is where it is of his attacks because he, he can't do it too soon because then they won't be fertile, but he can't do it too late because then they'll be inseminated. So there's a window there, that, he, that the timetable that they're working on there, which would be different if he was just picking random girls from a Bible college, which would be more of an opportunity thing. Right. So that explains perhaps why the victimology changed before he targeted young ultra-religious girls because he assumed maybe they wouldn't want to have an abortion and then when Shelley killed herself, he decided, well, let me change it up now and go over to some women who are desperate to have babies. The unsub knew Shelley was pregnant, which means he's still watching his past victims. And Elle is lost in her thoughts. We see her flashing back in her mind to the shooting. And the flashbacks are always in black and white here when we go back to that particular incident. And it takes her a moment to realize Gideon is talking to her. And he says, Elle. Talk to Callahan, Callahan tell, tell him we need patrols monitoring everyone on the victim list. And she says, okay, you got it. Morgan asks Reed if he's ever seen anything like this before. And Reed brings up Gary Heidnick in Philadelphia, who kept women in a dungeon. Uh, he kept them prisoner for years with the hopes of impregnate, impregnating them. And uh, Gideon says that Heidnick was a sexual sadist. He tortured these women and even ended up eating one of them. So this is a power reassurance rapist. And Morgan says, this guy's twisted mind means that these are love stories. And Gideon says, of course they are. This guy is starting families. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it, it's a unique uh, spin on, you know, it's not like the rapist who just wants to have sex. Uh, it's not a, or a rapist who wants to have control or, you know, a rapist who enjoys the violence. This is a rapist who wants to be a daddy. And it's, it's, it's awful, awful, awful. But I, from, from a TV standpoint, I don't remember seeing a story like this before where that was like the, the goal. You know, it's, it's, it's at least they're coming up with something original within the family of the same old, same old. So that's, I mean, a plus on the writing on this. But ugh, 
Uh, so we next cut to the Dayton Fertility Clinic, and the uh, doctor there is saying that he's the only man there, and who's, whoever's committing these crimes just couldn't work at this clinic. They tell him there can still be some connection. They just need his help to figure out what it might be. He excuses himself for just a second to let a patient know that she has to fill out a form. Then he turns back to him and says, look, what's happening is just horrible, but the margins on the clinic like this are incredibly slim. And if word gets out there's connection to this rapist, my practice would be ruined. And Callahan uh, straight up says, look, to be honest, I don't care about your practice. Uh, three women were raped after coming here. That's not a coincidence. It's a pattern. <laughs> and I'm like, right on, Callahan. And the doctor is like, oh, y'all don't think I did it. Uh, just to let you in on something, I had a vasectomy 25 years ago. Uh, thanks for that info. <laughs> thanks, Dr. Weasel. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a Weasley guy. Yeah. Hotch says, look, they just want to know if there's anyone in and out of this clinic who fits the profile. Morgan says, yeah, someone quiet, lives alone, awkward with women, hangs around the office just a little too long. <laughs> I will say, before he said hangs around the office too long, I thought for sure they were going to go, you mean Reed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I'm just saying, he was set a frame while he Morgan said all this. And this is all I, I, that's where I thought the joke yeah. was going. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor says, no, no, this is just a small clinic. I only hire women because that's what my patients are more comfortable with. And Hotch is saying, well, what about anybody else like uh, computer support, a janitor? Uh, he says, my daughter handles all the technical business and I have a cleaning crew of two women. And uh, just then the patient comes back and hands him the form she was filling out. And Hotch asks what that was. And he says, well, it's just a questionnaire we hand out to learn more about our client base. And then we see shots of the, the form. And right there, it has questions. Favorite vacation spot? Favorite recording artist? Favorite books? Morgan says, this is everything the unsub knew about the victims. <laughs> uh, Callahan says, who else sees these? And the doctor you know, after a bit of prodding, tells them he sells the forms to a direct marketing company and it's called First Hand Media. He says they just target people's buying habits. There's no medical information that's changing hands here. It's not illegal. Uh, Callahan says, yeah, but, you know, margins on a place like this, word gets out, your practice would be ruined. So, uh, Touché. there you go. I, I find <laughs> it just weird that any patient would fill out this form. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know he said, please fill this out or, you know, but like, I'd be asking some questions. Like, look, you're inseminating me. I can give you a med take my medical history. Sure, I get that. But favorite foods? Like, it's not like yeah. you're matching me up with, with a, a sperm donor or something. And this is what I'm looking for <laughs> in a parent or anything like that. Right. And, and Or if that is the case, then it should have been phrased differently to say, hey, a potential donor survey. What 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 are your interests? We'll try and match up with a potential donor. I that would have solved this for me. This is just like, well, we need to figure out how the unsub got this information. Quick, throw in a survey for her. Yeah. So now uh, Morgan calls Garcia. They have one of their typical flirty conversations. He asks her to look up the marketing firm Firsthand Media, see if they have any connection to the colleges from the first set of victims. So she quickly clickety-clacks and says, Behold, Firsthand Media processes all the freshman orientation questionnaire <laughs> questionnaires. Which came up in a letter 
basically saying first-hand uh, media announces that they are going to handle Trinity College's freshman surveys. And I'm like, there's no way in the world <laughs> that that letter is in any file anywhere. I'm sorry. I know that's just a visual thing for us to make a... Oh, she, she would have figured that out by doing a bank trail or something like that. It's just so silly. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. So, uh... Morgan then, you know, he has to get his flirting on with Garcia before he hangs up the phone. So he says, one last favor. Look up the words sexy and brilliant in that computer of yours and tell me what you come up with. And she says, look at that. It's me. <laughs> and uh, he says, you're a goddess woman. Ciao. And then he looks over and realizes there's a group of women at the clinic that have been staring at him this whole time listening to that conversation and he says, uh, it was uh, it was a work call. <laughs> and they were like, like uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> nice little mm -hmm. funny, lighthearted yeah. moment, which we, we like to see. I, I just again, this is one of those situations where th this would have made more sense. Like it's a fertility clinic. I mean, couples go to fertility clinics. So the fact that there's only women in there, it, it, just make it a. Women in search of sperm donors who are single and want to have children or, you know, same-sex couples, you know, who, who want to have a sperm donation. That would have made much more sense to me than, oh, it's just a fertility clinic. So any woman, you're like, there's no husbands there. It's just weird. Yeah. We cut next, AJ, to the media company. The owner is saying, uh, you really think this rapist is one of my guys? And they say, well, he's used to being in strangers' homes. He's always on the phone. That's how he's confident. Thanks to your research, he feels like he knows these women. So please create a list of any employees you have that worked in the, a fertility clinic and, and uh, university questionnaires. And he says, well, I give every employee complete access to all of our mater materials because it helps keep them fresh and they can alternate between the different types of calls. Gideon says, and Gideon's kind of pissy with this guy because this guy deserves it. Uh, Gideon says, so I fill out my intimate personal information and then you just share it with everyone you have working here for minimum wage. And the owner says, I sense an attitude, <laughs> <laughs> which cracked me up. Like, you saying that to Gideon? Oh, boy. Um, L says, look, we need copies of every single questionnaire that you got from the clinic. They can come in here with a warrant in about an hour if you prefer that. And the owner is saying, well, you know, if you think about it, all I'm doing is profiling just like you guys. <laughs> and Gideon says, let's not think about it. <laughs> uh, so the owner hands them a big box of files and Reed is like, all these? And the owner says, well, we cover the entire Great Lakes region. So Reed says, let's narrow it down. The guy that we're looking for is male, white, between the ages of 20 and 40, socially awkward, unable to make connections easily. And the owner says, well, I have 250 employees and most of those are men and every single one of them matched the description you just gave me. Yeah, this, this scene, I, I didn't like the way this was staged and I didn't really quite understand it because the pile that the manager picked up was really quite dinky actually you said he gave him a box but he actually picks up an empty box picks up a pile of what looks to be like you know maybe a hundred tops of, of these surveys and puts it in the box and then hands read the box 
and read like all these. It, it, I mean, it's not like he brought out sixty six thousand <laughs> boxes worth. It's like one one little stack in one little box. So that didn't make sense to me. Um, now you said earlier that when they were interviewing the uh, woman at her home, you saw the little guy in the background, and it was like, oh, when they pan through all the uh, employees. One of the employees is indeed our unsub. It's a very quick shot, but he is working in, in the call center that day, right there when the FBI is, is in there, which I find interesting is that he is completely oblivious to it. He doesn't know what's going on at all. So uh, he's there. A good job by seeding it in yeah. there. If you go back and look, he is working there. And this guy should have picked up on it. They're in a big, gla- like they can see. The room can be seen, and it's clear that these guys are the F, the they're officials. You know, they're. I'm wondering why the guy didn't pick up on it, but maybe he was busy yeah, working. I, I don't I know. Just, paying never sure, pays attention to the boss. It, it goes to prove that you know you always assume that these are going to be criminal masterminds, especially the ones who haven't been caught uh, over a longer period of time. And it's just no, it's just no one was looking in the right place. You know, they they really like walk right past them, quite literally. Uh, it's just that there isn't anything that makes him stand out from everybody else in that room of all those workers, other than the fact that I knew who the unsub was, so I was looking for him. <laughs> right. We uh, cut back to the police station, and the team is going over the files, and Morgan says, well, yeah, I heard – he stops in and says, I heard you ran into a wall of paper. <laughs> a wall of paper? No, we ran into one box, as he said. <laughs> but uh, Hotch says – you can lock your doors, but these people still find a way into your home. Well, it might be worth going back to the victims. It's a long shot, but maybe somebody remembers a first name from a telemarketing call. And uh, L says, yeah, this unsub feels a connection with them, so Good he point. wouldn't lie or use an alias. Yep. Morgan says, we know this guy's DNA is not in the system, but I'm going to go cross-check employment records against sexual misdemeanors anyway, peeping, exposure, things like that. So he goes off to do that. Reed has separated the Dayton forms from the rest of the region. And Hotch asks, what do we know from the latest set of victims? JJ says, well, they're all single and they're all over 35. And Reed says each of them also indicated recently buying books on babies and childbearing. And Hotch says, well, okay, this guy knows com- that these people are committed to having children, which means they're much less likely to abort, even in cases of rape. JJ says, get this. Each of the victims also checked the yes box when asked if it would be okay to contact them on special deals on pediatric items. Reed says, in the unsub's, unsub's mind, now they've consented. He thinks he's doing them a service. And Hotch says, well, check those forms for each of those elements. If we can narrow it down to a potential list of victims, we can be waiting for him. And he hits, and he says this almost right away. I'm like, damn, give him some time to go well, through but, the forms. But, but, but yeah, he says, he says, any hits without giving me any time. And they're like, uh, yeah, just one. Again, what do you mean all these if you could do that in two seconds? <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, JJ has one. Reed doesn't have any. He didn't find any. So it's the only one they have. So they think they know who they're going after next. I don't uh, get you're right. I don't think they did a very thorough job here, but OK, <laughs> we'll or at go least, with it. you know, just, you know, have some sort of dissolve or something. Like, there's a way to do this where it's like, you know, hey, I've got I, I, Reed has a photographic memory. 
you know, you, you identical. Yeah. Every, I know everything. So you, you could have had just do a quick little. Yes, there was one uh, about six down on that pile. You take care of it. But again, you can't complain that there's too many folders and then have them go. Yeah, well, we got the one. We've looked through them all, scoured. <laughs> So next, uh, after this, we cut to the inside view of someone's house. It is completely dark, but the cops are outside. They knock. They're flashing their lights around. They ask if anyone's there. Uh, we then go into the house, uh, and unfortunately, a woman is there, but she is bound and gagged and tied to her bed. The unsub is wearing his nylon mask, and he's standing over her holding a gun to her head. The police quickly figure, oh, no one home. And so they leave and we cut to a break. Yeah. Good work, detectives. (laughs) (laughs) After the break, we're back at that woman's home. And yeah, they were too late. She's being brought out on a stretcher. She's she's still alive. I mean, that's the point of this case. Every one of these people are still alive. Uh, but she's, you know, looking fearful, stressed out. She's brought to an ambulance. She's taken away. Our team arrives. Callahan comes out, tells them that there was no forced entry. They're not sure how he got in. The MO was not exactly the same in this case. Hotch goes to take a look inside. Elle is furious, and she starts to take it out on Callahan. Uh, what the hell were your men doing? And she's like, excuse me? It's she says, you have men outside the door, but a woman could still get raped inside. And Morgan's trying to, like, calm it down. He's like, L, L. And, but L is going off. She's like, you know, these men knocked. There was no answer. What happened here? You know, and, the, and Callahan is saying, look, there was no legal cause to en- enter. There was no answer. And L's like, so they just walked away? And Callahan says, no, they left messages. It was urgent that she contact the police. And Elle says, points out very rightly, which must be on the machine right after the creep leaves a message saying he's going to rape her. And Callahan is, look, they did everything in their power. And Elle is snotty and just, you keep telling yourself that. Morgan tries to calm her, kind of pulls her away. Hutch is over by the door asking a crime scene guy, how bad were this girl's injuries? The guy says, oh, she's lucky. They're relatively minor. And Hotch says, do me a favor, don't tell her that she's lucky. Yeah, Ed, choose your words a little more wisely there, dumbass. Uh, you know, I mean, Elle's out of line, certainly. Uh, we know that she's flying off the handle there. Uh, on the other hand, I do question, like, did the cops leave? Or did they just position themselves outside and, and continue to stake out the house? Which I don't think they did, and I think that would have been... The plan, because they had narrowed the victim list down to this house. <laughs> so if they just knocked on the door and said, oh, well, she's not here, let's go home. That's reason for Elle and the woman herself to be very upset with the police department. But uh, no, they can't go inside. I, I, I get that. They might not have been able to stop it since yeah. he was already inside. But uh, I, I do think they could have just said, hey, you know, they were they were outside. They didn't see. They, Callahan could have explained it a little better because it does make it sound like the cops did a bad job here. I think I think you know. I mean, Callahan's clearly a good cop, but I think she was also a little shocked or maybe surprised at L coming at her like this and immediately oh, you sure, just get sure, defensive sure, 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 in that situation. And and uh, that seemed to be the vibe there. 
Anyway, we cut next to a hotel room and Hotch is there. He's telling Gideon uh, that there's not a potential victim in the questionnaires. So who knows if we're going to ever get another shot at this guy. And Gideon says, the noose is tightening. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Hotch says, you saw that stack of forms. Again, that huge stack of forms. This company handles the entire Great Lakes region. He thinks that we're close. (laughs) He's going to take off and get a whole new list of victims in another city. And Gideon asks Callahan, what does she think? And she says, well, when he started with the college students, he raped one a week. Now he has to wait for exactly the right set of circumstances, but he still wants more victims. So Hotch says, well, let's give him one. You think Elle is ready for it? And Gideon says, well, we'll be there for her. So they're I don't think they're they're seeing the they're not seeing through the trees. What is the expression I'm looking for? Ain't seen the forest for the trees. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Because yeah, I, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. Reed I, knows I, what's look, going on. Yeah, I don't get. Yeah, I, get, I don't get that scene at all with the whole. Uh, wow, look, you saw all those files. Wouldn't the wouldn't that scene work have worked exactly the same way? Well, you saw how small that stack was. They're clearly aren't going to be a lot of... He's not going to sit around and wait for the right victim to come along. If there's none in the pool right now, he might go to a different pool. So we have to act quickly and get him a victim in this small pool before he decides to go to another pool, as opposed to, you saw how many people he had to choose from. <laughs> what, one? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so they, ha- they how many come people, up with... No, the, seriously, <laughs> how many people do we think... Isn't it like Walmart here where people go in like... Is the fertility clinic business booming so great in Dayton, Ohio, that hundreds and hundreds of potential options are just pouring in by the day? <laughs> Probably not, AJ. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, uh, next scene is we cut to Elle, and she is having a microphone attached inside her blouse. So they're getting her wired up to for this big undercover shindig that's about to go on we do see briefly we can see the top part of her chest and that there's surgery scars there from her from her incident from the fisher king from the fisher king uh so that's just another reminder that ellis has been going through something as well and and, and it definitely i I like the shot of that because we we haven't seen that before and it is the yeah there are physical scars in her case, and there may not be physical scars in the victims in this episode, but that doesn't mean there aren't emotional scars. And maybe because you can see Elle's physical scars, you're willing to assume that there aren't emotional ones because the scars that are physical are so obvious. I, I, I like, like, with the one or two exceptions, I think that this episode is shot really well with the, the subtle storytelling stuff going on here. Right. So Elle is asking what her cover story is going to be, and Gideon says, okay, you're a legal secretary, 36, divorce. I, I kind of got lost in this part when they're talking about, okay, so the questionnaire is only two days. It, I, don't, I don't really understand, but they're basically saying the unsub's mine. He's already left behind his normal schedule, so he's in a hurry to get another victim. I, I, I was kind of lost a little bit here. Well, basically, uh, basically, basically but anyway, what they're saying is we, we just put this – sheet in the system because before we put this in the system there was no sheet (laughs) and instead of 
But we didn't want it to make it look like you just walked in the door because that's suspicious. So we backdated it two days so that he will think that he just didn't, that no one got to this pile yet. And that is not a police setup. So because of that, he's not seeing it fresh. He's seeing it two days old, which means he only has three days to get to you as opposed to the five days that he normally takes. Thank you, AJ. That was clear. (laughs) I wish the episode, I wish the scene hadn't confused me so much, but no, that makes sense. All right. Now I get it. (laughs) So now uh, they tell L, look, you need to let this guy see you. He wants to know when you leave, when you come home, when you have friends over, because uh, he breaks into these houses when the women are away. So he needs to see you leave the house. And we see Elle's mind, and she's flashing back to her own crime scene. She sees the word rules written in blood on the wall. Uh, We're back to Morgan. He's saying all we need to do is get him to breach the door. This is important. All we need to do. The only thing we need to do, AJ, make sure he breaks and enters, basically. Breaches the door. He's got to commit a crime. (laughs) Right. Once we get him on that, then we have a reason to check his DNA, and then his ass is ours, as Morgan says. Um, Gideon says, another thing, don't go out there with your gun on. Again, AJ, don't go out there with your gun on. makes sense. If he sees the gun, he might think something's up and and, and run away. Certainly. Right. So he tells her, just keep it someplace inside so you can get to it if you need it. Morgan says, look, I'm going to be right out front. Hotch and Gideon are going to be around the corner in a surveillance van. Hotch says, don't forget your wire. We're going to be with you at all times. And Morgan looks at her and he's like, hey, good? She says, I'm good. They bump fists. Which is, which is a nice little moment there. I, it also, it's interesting because she's flashing back to her crime scene with rules. The important thing to do is follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, someone gets hurt. So Elle, certainly her takeaway from this is going to be, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to wait till he breaks in. I'm not going to go out with my gun because those are the rules. And I've learned from experience what happens when I do not follow the rules. Right? AJ, I think (laughs) that perhaps Elle has... (laughs) A different thought from that experience. You are correct. That should be what she is thinking. Yes. (laughs) But we shall shortly see. Well, let's just get to it. We cut to Elle arriving at the house that they have set up. It looks like the same house that we saw before that belonged to to one of the other victims. But I I don't know. Maybe they had only one set to to work on. Let's just chalk that up to uh, budget. (laughs) Yeah, so she gets out of her car. She goes in. Morgan is in the surveillance car. He's reporting it to everybody. She's in. Elle walks in. She looks at herself in the mirror. And then she flashes in her head pictures of the different victims of this unsub. She puts her gun in the drawer. She's following the rules for now. She walks around the living room a bit. And again, we see her mind flashing back to herself, shot and bleeding. She leans back on the couch she's sitting on. She's clutching a pillow, flashes back to the word rules on the wall, flash to her being brought to the hospital. She goes to wa- to the uh, kitchen sink and she washes her face. But AJ, she can't wash away the memories of her pain. Ooh. <laughs> 
we cut to outside of the house, and now it's nighttime. And uh, Hotch asks Gideon, why isn't she leaving? She needs to, to go get out of there. Uh, we cut to inside the house, and she's still up, and she's just pacing around. And then she goes over, and she turns on some really loud rock music. I, I didn't recognize the song, but it's now blaring through the guy's uh, headsets. So it's not really helping a, a prime <laughs> surveillance team to have it going on. And Gideon and Hotch are looking at each other like, what? The WTF, basically. Uh, Hotch tells Morgan, hey, call her. So uh, he calls her. Elle walks over to the phone, but she doesn't answer I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming it's because she's hoping it's the guy leaving an answering, and he's going to leave an answering machine message for her. I'm assuming that's why she doesn't pick up the phone Absolutely. here. I, or or yeah. that she's expecting it, at least, to be the guy leaving the answering message, uh, which doesn't make sense because she hasn't been there long enough for him to have staked out her normal routine, which was the whole point of this, is that it's probably going to be a three-day operation. Um, he's got to see her coming and going, and she has not yet gone <laughs> she she came the one time right. and she's still there again she's missing the whole point of this is to set up a routine and if the routine is i go in the house and i never leave <laughs> that's not a routine right it's gonna make it tough yeah for the plan to work uh but a car does pull up outside morgan says oh uh-oh i think we got company he notes the uh, license number of the car calls garcia asks her to look up the plate number she clickety clacks comes up right away with william lee 10308 pinehurst avenue morgan's like okay uh do you have where can you give me where he works garcia says feel my speed clickety clickety clack uh and comes up he works for dun 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 first hand media morgan's like all right i got it thanks and it informs the other guys it's him Inside the house, music is still playing. Elle goes to the drawer. I guess she's not thinking about the rules because she grabs her gun, stuffs it in the small of her back, walks outside, and they're, and they're still doing the surveillance. They're like, okay, all right, all right, cool. She's on the move. Wait, what's she doing with her gun out? Wait, no, Elle, just get in the car. Wait, Elle, Elle. So Elle is not paying attention and they're like, don't let him know you've seen him. What are you doing? L, <laughs> easy, easy. And they figure out, okay, she's panicking. They're like saying, back off, back off. We've got no reason to bring him in. Don't blow it. Don't blow it. Go, go. Now they're shouting, everybody go, because Elle is walking directly to the perp over with to the, the car. With her gun drawn, by the way. <laughs> with her gun and, drawn. And yeah. to make that as worse, if mean, you thought, yeah. well, may maybe if she just walks up to him, you know, FBI! Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put your hands up where I can see him. Get out of the car. Get on the ground. Put your palms up. He starts to talk. Oh, I was just, she's like, shut up. And he says, I was just stopping to look at my map. <laughs> they look at the car. They look that he has a map, but it doesn't look like he's really got anything bad there right now. It's a great really cover. Tell. I was just looking at a map. You know, if they said, what, what map? Then maybe they have something because now he's lied to them. But, I mean, tenuous at best. Yeah. So, basically, it's all fucked up. 
Uh, so we cut to the interrogation room. Uh, William Lee is saying, hey, they've got no reason to keep him there. Hotch is saying, well, we know you work at first-hand media and you had access to the information about all these women. And he says, but I didn't do anything wrong. And Gideon is taking an interesting tactic. He says, uh, we know that. I apologize. We know how much you care about these women. You do care about them, don't you? Uh, outside the interrogation room, room, Reed comes up uh, to Morgan and says, says uh, this guy is 28 years old. He has a high school diploma. He's had 12 jobs in the past 10 years. Morgan asks about his home life. Reed says he lived with his mother until she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about six months ago. And Morgan saw, well, one last chance to make mama proud by starting a family. Reed asks Morgan how these guys are playing it, and Morgan says, deep empathy. And Reed says, smart. But Morgan says, yeah, but it, it better work, because if they don't get him to confess, they don't really have any reason to hold him. Back in the interrogation, Hotch is saying, we know that dating those younger girls was a mistake. They were just too immature. And Gideon says, the older ones, they're... They're looking to start families. And Hot says, yeah, they're even willing, willing to shell out a lot of money just to have kids. And Lee is like buying what they're putting down. He says, let's just say that's true. But then whoever would have been with them really would have been helping. And Gideon is like, that's what we're saying. <laughs> You're the best thing that's ever happened to them. So it appears like maybe they're getting somewhere, but no, AJ. (laughs) Not only they get there, we're really seeing that this is not a smart man. Because like you said, he is falling for this hook, line, and sinker. There's none none of this like, well, hypothetically speaking, if someone were to have done something, and certainly I'm not saying I did anything, but if I were to have done it. Then it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But unfortunately, outside the room, it appears that there is a lawyer arriving. Morgan's like, no, 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 son of a bitch. Meanwhile, back in there, Gideon is saying, well, why don't you just volunteer a DNA sample? I mean, if you were the kid, you would want to know who your father was, right? (laughs) Stretch, stretch, stretch. (laughs) Yeah, right. But this guy, who knows? He might have gone for it. But unfortunately, our lawyer walks in. Don't say another word. This is over. I'm advising my client not to answer any more questions. And he just says, uh, I'm assuming we're free to go. And of course they are. They don't have anything on this guy. So they start to leave the station. They pass by Elle, who is looking incredulous for some reason. Like she didn't, she didn't, she hasn't realized, I guess, that she's completely she screwed, screwed this thing pooch. up. She has screwed the pooch, yes, absolutely. Uh, I wrote it right here. She has screwed the pooch. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's just incredulous. She goes to get Gideon, you're letting him walk? And Morgan is like, back off, Elle. She says, you don't know what he's done. Hot says, the only reason he's walking is because you panicked. And Elle says, oh, and I'm supposed to believe you got my back. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, what are you saying? And Elle is like, the last time you sent me home, Hotch, it got me shot. Gideon immediately grabs her by the arm because this is not heading anywhere good. He's like, walk with me right now. He takes her off to a little side room and he tells her that she needs to get some air. And while she does... 
she needs to think about this job, what she's been through and what she's capable of. Does does she understand him? And she basically just rolls her eyes at him and and walks out. She she's not being good little cop girl right here. No, the the only thing that could have made that entire tantrum worse is when she said, "You know whose fault this is all? It's Anderson's fault." Because <laughs> yeah. you told Anderson to take me home, and he just left me there. <laughs> yeah, poor Anderson. She anyway. She uh, she walks out, storms off basically, and Reed is trying to reach out and comfort her, but she blows by him and, and shrugs him off of her and leaves. Uh, we cut back to the hotel. Callahan is is walking with Hotch and Gideon. And she's like, so uh, what happens now? <laughs> Do you guys stay here? And Hotch says, no, look, you have your man. You know how it is. You just have to wait for him to slip up. And she says, well, you said yourself that he has access to the information on women for an eight-state region. And Gideon says, look, you're a good cop. My money is on you. Don't worry about it, basically, is what he's telling her. Because they screwed up. Um, he, tells, <laughs> he tells Hotch, look, you better go get some rests. Wheels up tomorrow at noon. Wheels up, baby. <laughs> Just start, start, start to start it as, as a trend. I know we'll yeah. be hearing it again. <laughs> I have a question for you. Hey, yeah. I have a question for you. So, what did you think about the actress who was playing Callahan, this Dahlia Salams, her name? Do you think, like I do, that perhaps because she was getting on so good, you know, this character was like really, you know, Gideon was liking this character. Do you think maybe that this was some sort of backdoor audition for her? as potentially being a recurring character on the show or potentially getting her own show. Because uh, it, it seemed really like this was a feature for her that we don't usually see with these detectives. Did you get that impression? Because that's the impression I was working on this whole episode. Yeah, actually, I did, AJ. I, I thought, uh, yeah, she's too good. She knows she knows the lingo when you come in. She knows about – she she seems to have already – done her research on profiling and what they do and 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 what they're looking for uh yeah i thought i got that impression yeah because cool. yeah, this is like the second time that i've gotten that, that feeling the first time was when they were uh you know going to uh the cia and they introduced the other team and you know that they like, right oh, these these i would have watched the show with these characters <laughs> so uh even you know even if one of them ended up getting arrested one of them get, getting uh strangled <laughs> neck neck broken but you know I think they're building up a nice arsenal of really strong female characters that, you know, never amount to anything, <laughs> which is the sad thing. But I, I do think like they're getting yeah. these, these auditions here, I think, going on here. I think that's a great way to look at it. And I think that's probably true. Even if they weren't overtly doing that. Well, I, yeah, I, it's, I just think. You feel like it's got to be in, in the back of their head, minds that, okay, maybe we want to see Callahan again or, or something. Yeah. It's like, you know, she she had actually been in a, like, uh, on ER for a number of episodes right before, you know, before this role. And I thought, you know, well, let's, if not for this show, but maybe for another CBS show even, like, let's try them out. See if they can handle a bigger a bigger role, get the audience reaction, see how the cast interacts. It's just interesting to look at, you know, when you look back and go, like, you know, this character, this, this minor character has got a much beefier role than usual. What's the reason for it? Right. Well, we have one more scene in the uh, episode, AJ. Wait, that's not it? 
No, no. Oh, I thought everything we needed to have happen happened. Yeah. Uh, it did not yet, because now we cut to another outdoor garage. It looks like the, the typical garage of a condo or an apartment building, something like that. And a blue SUV pulls into a stall and parks. And we see William Lee getting out of the car. And he starts walking, I'm, I'm presuming, back to his apartment or wherever he's staying. And all of a sudden, L appears from behind like a nearby dumpster. I thought this was kind of <laughs> an interesting place where she was. But uh, she, she appears and she says, is this what you do? You wait for them until they get home. And Lee looks around and he's, he looks like he's kind of panicking here. And he, he says, uh, you're not supposed to be here. She says, what, you can't talk to a woman without a gun in your hand? Uh, you and I both know what you are, and you're not going to hurt women anymore. And he says, I would never hurt them. You know that. That's why you let me go. And Elle says, I didn't let you do anything. And he looks at her, and he, he walks a little closer to her, and he says, uh, you're very pretty. And Elle is like, what did you just say to me? Uh, he says, why did you choose to do a job that's so dangerous? You should find a man to take care of you. And this is kind of creepy, this reaction here. And uh, Elle is like, oh, like you took care of those women? And Lee says, look, now you're just trying to interrogate me. You know you're not supposed to do that. And Elle says, I'm just here to let you know that I'm not going to rest until you go away. And he gets even kind of closer to her and he says, no. You're here because you want me to say thank you. And Elle just is like, you're sick. And he says, really? Because without you, I would still be locked up. <laughs> Elle says, I didn't let you walk. And he gets even closer to her. He's basically all up in her grill at this point. And he says, thank you. You've made a lot of women very happy. He starts to walk off. Dramatic music is playing. She calls out to him. Hey, Lee, he turns around and she straight up fires three shots into him. AJ, even though I was kind of suspecting something might happen here, my jaw dropped. It was it was done that well. Uh, even though I wasn't surprised, I was surprised. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, part of me wishes that he, he because he kept saying you weren't supposed to be here and, you know, you were you you know interrogate me you're not supposed to do that part of me wishes they could have worked in a third thing there just so he could say you have to follow the rules right before, because that, that Ooh, would have been just a nice yeah. little thing rules 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 bang 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 so i i wish that had been there but like you said it, the surprise factor here that might that might have telegraphed it but i don't know it would have been nice closure though but yeah not not something that you were expecting yeah uh yeah no we uh, cut to a bit later. It's a crime scene. Callahan is there. She's asking Elle what happened. And she says, I was having a conversation with him and he drew his weapon and I fired. Uh, so Callahan asks if she's all right. She says she is. Thank you. Gideon and Hotch have arrived. Uh, Callahan goes up to him and says, I can't let you speak to her right now until she's been processed. You know, procedure, procedure, yeah. rules. <laughs> um, they, uh, they ask her what happened, and Callahan says, well, she came to stake out his place. He saw her. He had a gun. Don't worry about it. It's cut and dry. Self-defense. 
She'll have her badge by, back by tomorrow. Uh, they say, thank you. Callahan takes L, says, come on, L, let's go. And she's giving them a last glance at, at Gideon and, and Hotch before she gets into the car. And she's driven away. And they look at her. And I think they know something ain't right in, 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 yeah, in there at was, all. Uh, it, there was a little in between the dissolve when, after she shoots them and before they dissolved into the cops being on the scene. They dissolved into a quick shot of her clearly planting the gun on him. Uh, so, like, she has set up her self-defense right, right. as well. So... Uh, that's not good. I mean, we saw, we knew what happened anyway. We saw it happen, but like, no. oof, a lot of premeditation going on here. And, uh, and yet the story is plausible. If you ignore the fact that why was she staking him out anyway? Like the case was over and they were leaving. Right. I, I suppose she could argue like, look, yeah, we're leaving tomorrow, but for tonight, I, I got to make up. I got to make it for myself. I, I didn't want to let it make go. sure at least for tonight he doesn't go out and do it. So uh, maybe she can get away with that. But that's not her tactic, right. certainly. Her tactic is to just stare at, at Hacha Gideon and they got to be suspicious. If they don't know for sure, they, they're certainly questioning. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a powerful scene and it was the end of the episode. They didn't give us any end quote. They didn't do anything after that. It was just over after uh, she gets Absolutely. driven away in the cop car. That's an episode. <laughs> so, uh, AJ, that was a, it was, uh, it was funny because all the way through, I'm kind of like, it's a standard episode, but I felt like they were doing a lot of, like I said, like I felt like they were doing a lot of L shots and I thought it was just because, oh, aftermath, we're seeing that she's still somehow affected by by what's happened to her i did not think she was going to actually go through with uh killing killing mm-hmm. this burp here this unsub uh but what does our barometer say aj I, this is a weird episode well, i'm very a, curious to see episode, what you think but i mean here clearly there's only one verdict for this episode i mean this is a loss <laughs> not even close but yes people, thank you they didn't save anybody okay. They didn't save anybody, you know. Yeah, they narrowed it down to the one victim, right. but she got raped. Like they, they, they didn't save anybody in this episode. Uh, and you know, when one of your team actually murders the unsub, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she personally may have felt a victory, but this was no victory. Clearly, <laughs> no, no. This, this, this. Oof, this was bad. This was bad news. So yeah, total, total loss here. I mean, yes, technically, you know, the unsub's not going to rape anybody else because the unsub is dead and they identified the unsub and no, this is not how you do it. Uh, she may have gotten away with it because it was a clean shoot, but oof, oof, oof. Yeah, I don't know. I questioned at the end of last season uh, how long Lola Gladini was going to be on this show. And uh, I was wrong. She's she's made it through these first five episodes for sure. And uh, obviously, she'll probably be in the next one. But uh, I I still don't feel like she's long for I I still don't feel like she's long for the show, AJ. Uh, (laughs) I got reasons, I'll say. (laughs) Well, and uh, I think justified, probably. Uh, Indeed. So uh, do we have a little quiz for me, AJ, this week? we do we always have a quiz and you did pretty well last week going uh two out of three which brings you up to four 12 for the uh, season so far 33 percent 
Excellent, yeah. excellent. So why don't we get into it? As you know, uh, out there, I have another podcast that I do from time to time called Beat My Guess, which is a trivia podcast, so I like trivia. I love it. And here are three questions inspired by what we just watched, and boy, was it something. Uh, I have a question for you before we get to our first uh, official question. Were you familiar with the unsub in this episode at all? Did you recognize Mr. Uh, Jason London? He looked vaguely familiar, and but even when you say Jason London, I, I don't. I don't know where. I feel like I know him, but uh, I don't know where, and maybe I'm wrong. So he okay. seemed vaguely familiar, but I don't. Sure. Well, this will lean into our up. first question here. Uh, Jason London is an actor, been in a bunch of stuff, but his twin brother, Jeremy, is by far the more successful of the two London brothers. Uh, Jeremy starred in both Party of Five for a number of seasons and Seventh Heaven. Uh, as opposed to just a one-off on Criminal Minds. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jason right. London's been like a one-off on a lot of a lot of shows. He gets a lot of work. Okay. He, he, he works more, but uh, Jeremy gets more of the, the staying power gigs. Now, in 2006, which is the same year that this episode aired, uh, Jeremy was quite busy. Jeremy was busy uh, starring in three movies that were released that year. Uh, I'm going to give you four movie titles. I need you to tell mm -hmm. me which of those four movie titles is not one of the three movies that our unsub's twin brother was in that year. Okay. All right. We have A, Basilisk, the Serpent King. We have B, Devil in the Delta. We have C, Kiss Me Again. And we have D, what I did for love. All of these huge blockbusters, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Three of those wow. are real. One of those these were One of those is not actually a movie that came out in 2006? Or One just of those he wasn't is not actually a movie at all. Okay. Uh, or okay. I should say... One of them I made up. I did not go back and double check to see if it actually was a movie at all. <laughs> right. Uh, and I'm sorry. Could you do a, just a quick recap of we my have choices? Basilisk, here. the Serpent King, Devil in the Delta. Right. Kiss me again. What I did for love. I have no idea, <laughs> AJ Mass. Uh, so just as a random guess, I'm going to say. And because I've always wanted to say this to you, kiss me again. Oh, that's so sweet, <laughs> but it is wrong. That was indeed a real movie. Ah, Sorry, Jeremy London, in 2006, as was What I Did for Love, uh, both of which kind of uh, on point <laughs> a little bit with the attitude of the unsub in this episode. Uh, Devil in the Delta, I made up. Devil in the Delta, Basilisk, ah. colon, The Serpent King. Another fine <laughs> Jeremy London joint. <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Good times. Indeed. Uh, I actually, I will I will say, oh, well. uh, obviously, I've seen these episodes b before, but I was actually surprised when I first watched this that there wasn't a twin brother twist to this uh, somewhere along the line because I'm aware of Jeremy right. London. And I was thinking, ooh, I didn't know which one this was, but. They're identical, but I was just like, oh, oh, oh maybe they're going to do it. No, that's not what they're going to do here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's oh, get well. you back on the winning side here with question two. Name of this episode, yeah, of course, please. was 
Aftermath. So I have to ask you a question about Aftermash. Yes, Aftermash was a spin-off sitcom from 1983, which followed the post-Korea antics of some of the regulars from MASH. Now, Harry Morgan starred and reprised his role as Colonel Sherman Potter. I need for you to tell me what other character joined him for all 31 episodes of Aftermash. There are two possible correct answers. You only need to give me one. What character from MASH there are two possible correct answers. Join Sherman Potter in 31 episodes of Aftermath. Okay. Uh, I think I have this, although I may be, I mean, I remember who was on the show. I don't remember. I don't know. I didn't really watch it, so I don't know if this person was there for all of the episodes, but I'm going to go with Father Mulcahy. Father Okay, if you had to guess on uh, the other uh, potential correct answer, would you be able to throw me another guess there? I think the other one may have been Corporal Klinger. Two for two! Two for two, that is correct. Both of them there. Corporal Klinger and Father Mulcahy, pretty much the only uh, regular characters to make the transition over at all. Uh, Radar appeared in one episode. And uh, Klinger's wife, uh, Soon Lee, also came over, but she did not appear in every episode. A good chunk, but not every episode. Okay. But uh, there you have it. Well done. Kudos to you. Right. Correcto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now my favorite question. You know I love this one. Each week, what is the plot of the next episode, which we will cover on the next episode of Felonious Pundits? We're talking about Criminal Minds. Season 2. Episode 6, entitled, The Boogeyman. <laughs> the Boogeyman, right. which of these four plots? And, as always, I promise, one of these is indeed <laughs> the plot. <laughs> which one oh, is the plot of The Boogeyman? Is it A, dressed up in all black? Garcia narrates this episode, which is shot in the style of classic 1950s horror films. <laughs> is it B? Okay. L is haunted by the ghost of William Lee, the man she killed in this episode. As in, she's actually having arguments with him while on the BAU's next case. Mm. Is it C? Halloween comes to Washington, D.C., but it's more than spooky when trick-or-treaters start to go missing. Or is it D? The BAU gets called to Texas when young boys start turning up beaten to death in the woods. Ew. Well, huh. Number A, <laughs> letter A, just sounds too wacky, uh, and I can't believe it. So I almost <laughs> want to go with it because now keep in mind, keep, keep in mind this this next episode uh, is definitely in the Halloween window. We're, we're we're late October. Yes, yes. I that I was thinking of that. It is this is right around Halloween? It would make sense to delve more into Elle and what's going on with her, but I think. 
Methinks perhaps that's a trap. I am going to pick between the Texas one and the Washington, D.C. Halloween one. They both sounded like rather serious plots to me, even though I'm sure I'm wrong. It is the Halloween episode, so I'm going to go with the Washington, D.C. one, choice C. That's my guess. Trick-or-treaters going missing on Halloween in Washington, D.C. is your guess. And, you know, we've already seen most of the time when it comes to Criminal Minds, when something gets really, really dark and sinister, they like to cut the mood by suddenly switching over to a lighthearted fare uh, before, of course, steering right back into dark, dark, dark. Uh, Oh, no. But that is not the Don't case here, me. no. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> unfortunately, you are still not correct. You had 50-50 oh. properly. No, the BAU is going to Texas because young boys start turning up getting beaten to death in the woods. Oh, man. Ugh. I was hoping it wouldn't be that. So I just... <laughs> The most boring of the four uh. ends up being the correct answer this week. <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, well. Dang it. Oh, well. That's all I can say. So, one out of three, not not too shabby. You keep your 33% going, and uh, we'll see how long we can keep that streak going yeah. there. Uh, looking forward to next week, The Boogeyman. Yeah. Well, folks, that is next week. This week, we are ending the show now. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. And as I always say, I don't know if anybody is hearing it, but if you want, you can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or perhaps you can follow our Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! Someday we will both look back and have to laugh because we lived through a lifetime and the aftermath. Billy Joel. <laughs>